Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. This season we are doing 2019. I'm your host, Greg. Joining me is my best, best friend, Mike. Hello. Happy to be here. Am I right about that? Am I right that you won last week? I think so. I feel proud, which I normally (laughs) don't, so... I find it harder and harder to cast myself back one week to remember the things that have transpired. Every week is Ryan, a year. Did you win last week? And am I wrong? Uh, Mike did actually win the Joker show. Okay, very good. But since that, we did Parasite, which I believe I crushed him on. Oh, okay. Would you guys rather win the Parasite show or the Joker show? Like, do you have a preference? Like, what, going into a movie, if you want to win that week, I believe yeah, I, last week I declared Mike was a bad winner and bad person for winning the Joker show, and yeah, I declared I like just a, watched it better and cared and tried harder. <laughs> Let's go to the tape because it's I not like I, if I was like Joker rules and Greg's like, well, he was positive. I guess he wins. <laughs> I do think though that I'm not I don't I don't know if Little Women is going to win movie of the year anything like that but I uh, I do think that this is the show based on how you guys feel about it this is the one to win. I feel like this is the mm. bestest best friend you could possibly be. Yeah. When I saw this movie, I was very enthusiastic about it. I wanted to see it very badly uh and then I loved it and I was super stoked. Mike, I feel like you had that same reaction, correct? Yeah, I I it was in a a string of like two weeks where I saw Lighthouse, Parasite, Little Women, and so it was a very different kind of movie than the other two, and fucking won me over. It was like every time I saw a movie that week, I was like, "This is the best movie of the year," and then I was just like, "Oh fuck!" Uh, but yeah, I cried a lot then, and I was like, "Surely I'm prepared. It won't make me cry again." More somehow, more. But Ryan, I feel like you were kind of excited about it, and then you saw it, and you were like, yeah, it was a good movie. Uh, Is that correct for your first viewing? Yeah, I think that I just had the same sort of experience that Mike did. Like, it was the end of the year, and we were just getting crushed by, like, week in, week out, by um, the end of one of the best movie years that we've had in a really long time. It was overwhelming. They were coming in through the theaters. They were coming in through the internet. (laughs) And I'm not saying that you have to pick one. Like, you have to wear a jersey, but I was talking about and running so fast with parasite at that time mm-hmm. um that yeah, I, I couldn't I'm, i can't talk about two movies at the same time that's insane no that would be so it would be very hard to follow like if you talked about one but then interspersed with conversations about the other people would be like i just pick one pick one lane i think the best way to do it. it is talk about one a week for like eight weeks and then talk about eight movies at the end of all of that Yes, that makes that trash, and have them square off against each other for some reason, or if you in the same way that I'm having you guys square off against each because other because you on can't this have show. you can't have two friends, you have to <laughs> weed them out every week. It's exactly, that's just that's how I am. That's Greg. <laughs> that's Greg, baby. What did anything change? So I always like to talk about how we first saw these movies, if they had any effect on us. Like usually the season might be from our childhood. And so we could talk about if we had like a childhood relationship with it, but we all have already seen this movie. Was there anything new about seeing it this time? Did you like it more, less? The one thing that I found is that uh, I was one of the few people who saw the movie and was excited about the movie and didn't know the story. You know, everyone else knows that fucking Joe does this shit and Meg does this shit and you know Beth dies and Amy burns up a book. 
Um, and for me, seeing it for like the, in theaters, I had no idea any of that yeah. happened. So now I, I got oh. to join in with the rest of the country saying like, yeah, Little Women, this is the shit that happens. We know. <laughs> we all know. Yeah, I, I'd never seen any of the other eight adaptations nor read it. Uh, and it was just a delight. And I got I'm like, oh, this is why this has been bubbling up. And yeah, I think even harder because every like few years, people feel more comfortable with the shit they nerd out about. And I do feel like the few years before Little Women 2019, people were starting to open up and be like, I'm a Joe, and here's why I'm nerdy about it. And I'm like, I uh, didn't get what that meant, and now I do, and I love it. Who Who is who is everybody? Like, do you, Have you guys thought about that? Who, Which sister you are? Well, our former uh, uh, podcast partner, Steve, I would say is Beth, because they're both dead from Scarlet okay. Pepper. Classic That's, guess, Steve. An easy one. Yeah. And he was the best of us. Um, I could Ryan's see, and Amy. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that would be said as soon as fucking possible. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> dramatic one. I would say, Mike, probably you are... I think Mike is is Joe and I'm yes. Meg. You know, I'm sort of like the elder statesman on the podcast. Boring. I'm you're you're boring. happy with what you have? <laughs> <laughs> I try to be happy with what I have, but sometimes I want nicer things. I see my friends with nicer things, and I want them too. But in the end, I realize I'm happy with the choices I made, and I'm comfortable with the person I am. That's why Meg. you're like Meg meets Fred Vaughn, because out of our friend group, you're also the friend with the nicest things. Yeah, and I, <laughs> honestly, we're going to talk about this later, but I, I, I'm a Lori, and that's a, that's a bum move probably for a guy to say. But I want to be the guy that just hangs out with exclusively women mm-hmm. and just gets to, like, do girl stuff with them. Why aren't they then... all in love with me in slightly different ways? <laughs> <laughs> so, but I don't think you can say, Laura. I think you have to pick one of the sisters. The other thing that is nice about watching it now, in, in like, far removed from award season and when it first came out, is watching it again, I was reminded of the conversation of that time. And it was less about the movie. It was about where are the nominations? Why aren't there nominations? Mm-hmm. And why aren't men going to see this movie? Every uh-huh. story that was written about it was men aren't buying tickets. And first of all, they were. Like, it was free about, right here, baby. Yeah, it was about what uh, everybody predicted it would be. Um, so it was sort of a false story. And then also, like, it doesn't matter anymore. The box office returns of these movies do not matter anymore. We can just focus on the movie. Yeah. What yeah. a boring conversation that is, and to have it for only that for months. I do have to say, though, that when I went to see it, I very much like walked up to the box office, and I was like, one male ticket for Little <laughs> Women, please. That's right, world. I'm going to see Little Women, and my wife's not even here with me. And then you winked, uh, and they're like, oh, now you're hitting on us? <laughs> uh, no, that wasn't hitting. No. <laughs> and then I scurried away crying. When we come back, we are going to dig right into this movie, get all down into the nitty gritty. The third film by Greta Gerwig is the sixth time Little Women, the 1886 Louisa May Alcott joint, has been adapted into a movie. And this is to say nothing of the TV adaptations, stage reproductions, or Deadpool crossovers. The story follows four sisters as they try to navigate the world and find some happiness while still conforming to society and finding some way to express the depth of their thoughts and dreams. Gerwig's take on the story is at once homage and retrofit, painstakingly staging some scenes down to every fiber of detail provided by the text, and yet still bold in its updating of form, themes, and yes, dear listener, even the ending. So, gents, I ask you this. The main complaint against the movie was Gerwig's jumping throughout time to tell her story. 
something that does not come from the original novel. Did you find it confusing like so many others did? And what does this method do to the story? Uh, I'm not a fucking moron. I'm going to throw that out. We haven't been rude to people in a long time. So no, I was never confused. Uh, you were ne- you were never confused. Not even one time there was a jump that confused you. But yeah, I, it, in the middle, it went the because it's like a seven year difference. There's the the present seven years in the future, and then the past seven years in the past. But there's so many hints, not only in how they look. Uh, you can really just look at Florence Pugh, and she is great at inhabiting a twelve year old, and so you know it's the past. But more than anything, <laughs> it's uh, something I sort of noticed the first time I watched it, but definitely stood out this time and made it seem like look at this perfect code. And you don't want it with a period piece movie. You don't want to be like eighteen eighty four. Like you don't want to update them every time. But the present is blue and gray as shit, and the past is golden hued like memories should be. Yeah, generally, I would say that that's a pretty good style guide, right? If it's like warm and oversaturated with color, you're in. The past, which I would say question mark. I want to talk about mm-hmm. what the past is in this and what the present is in this. But Ryan, you said you weren't familiar with the story. For me, I am so familiar with the story because my wife has watched the 94 version a hundred times. So for me, you're going through the greatest hits of the story and you can't confuse me about what's happening because I know everything that's happening. But Ryan, you were less familiar with the story, right? Yeah, and I would say that there i think that i like i agree with everything that mike said but i will also say that there i spent some time confused like there was there was some times where there were the seconds would tick up a little bit on my confusometer uh-huh. but th- i think the thing that's important is to um it's it's to not never be confused it's just to be okay with it and right. trust that you'll figure it out eventually probably very very quickly um yeah the past is fall Right, it's just basically autumn all the time, and the present is winter. But there's so much going on on the screen at all times that sometimes it's hard to even let your subconscious be aware of colors. So much uh, of the movie is winter, really. But the winter, the way they shoot it in the past, is like the warmest, nicest place you could right. ever be. You're like inside, and the winter in the well, in the present is like you're always outside, and it's just bone cold. It, but it, yeah, it, I I think that uh, the confusion is if it's there a little bit, it's purposeful and it's it's nothing to be angry about and right. what it really sounds like is i need i enjoyed this movie way too much i think that means that i might be gay i don't want people to think that i'm a girly man so i'm gonna come up with this complaint this is my this is like america's go-to complaint and i i, th- I think what's so masterful about the time switching up because again having not been familiar with the story at all is but how do you adapt something that's been adapted so many times how do you modernize it without doing like a Boz Lerman, romeo and juliet and by putting these scenes in this very specific Gerwegian order, she's telling us what's important for this version of the story. So I don't know if Joe is always the main character, but we open up on Joe in the present, struggling to be a writer. So this is a story about specifically Joe and all the sisters and a struggling writer. And so everything kind of filters out through that. I think the other thing, too, that's going on is I have a guess as to all of the the children and preteens and teens and whoever who read this book got a little bummed when the the time shift happened in the linear version of the novel mm. and it's like oh they're old and boring now and i miss when they were kids and we all sort of miss when we're kids even though that's like it's the more fun part less interesting part and so when we're adults adults it's all interesting no fun when we're kids it's all fun no interesting and so you have you're you're always sort of looking um, the grass is always greener depending on what section of the book you're in. To do it this way, to do it the way that memories sort of work, 
which is not linear in your head, but you'll go from one memory to the next because uh, you'll smell something which will jar when you were a kid, which will then jar to this time when you were an adult. Um, and it's not dreamlike. It's not confusing in that way. It just takes all of the aspects of life and doesn't put like uh, the shitty parts mm-hmm. all at the end and the fun parts all at the beginning. Yeah, it doesn't end super bleak the way it would if it was linear. And the, the, the way they transition from the past to the present uh sometimes the way they sit on joe's face you're like oh now i truly feel like she was memoring memoring remembering uh because that's just the cut the way other things have done memory before and i would hazard uh a thing that i did not think the first time i did the second time uh i don't this feels inception to me in a way that it's like i don't know if i'm supposed to know what's real but in the past not only is it golden hued and childlike but they speak in a different rhythm. Yes. There's a totally. happier. I think this whole thing, all the gold scenes might be Joe's book. Yeah. Uh, that, I here. Well, I, I agree with that in it, a little bit, Mike, and it's, it, this is as far as I agree with it. I think that early on, that is the trend that is set, but mm-hmm. I think that the movie, I think Greta Gerwig fucks with that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that some of the stodgier dialogue in this movie, I think is supposed to be sort of like, as if she, is writing her novel and you're seeing the scene through Joe's writing the novel rather than seeing like reality. But I think as the movie gets to the end, I think Greta Gerwig is really fucking with that. And it's, she's she that disintegrates i think that at, at, in the end it's like well nothing about this is real because you're viewing this the lens of someone through their memory mm-hmm. then trying to create a story then trying to create a story that is like permissible by culture and then have that permissible story also be marketable yeah. and then now i'm updating it and so like at the end i think her whole her point is it's neither real nor fake it's like you know it's kind of a combination yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that leads to, like, the craziest thing that's going on with Gerwig's adaptation skills, which is not just the delinearization of the story, but also the bookends that we have here um, that were not in the novel, right, of mm-hmm. Joe trying to sell the book. And so all of the stuff that uh, happens, like, all the sad stuff that we remember, like Beth dying and um, Amy and Lori getting married, that all happens before she sells the book. Um, but yeah, like, so I didn't mean to like scoff at what you said, Mike, but sort of, it's all equally false and true at the same time. And the amazing thing that is being done here, the thing that like blows, uh, I, I believe every other adaptation out of the water, none of which I have seen is that, (laughs) uh, Joe's favorite, or I'm sorry, Greta Gerwig's favorite part about little women was how Louisa May Alcott did that about her own life Mm -hmm. to little women. And so now she has written joe to be louisa may alcott in the first and last scenes of the movie and then at the same time on top of that uh joe becomes this woman who is saying my art is just as good i deserve to be paid and recognized for it as well so we are watching joe as louisa as greta yes all at the same time for and i think the movie leans into all that stuff and that's why i think it it you you can't say anything overly simple about the movie because it's too complex as to what what the layers of reality and mm-hmm. unreality really are yeah I mean, we have to fight against greta gerwig's memories of reading the book and mm-hmm. whatever her favorite parts of the book are are going to be focused on yeah and there's nothing like uh you know objective we can say about what she hooked onto, and this is the case for everybody who adapts everything what they hooked into when they read it for the first time is going to be a bigger deal but why this is amazing versus like a harry potter 
book movie adaptation is that person that adapter is like well i should try to shove every bit of plot into this movie i guess and gerwig's like no it's emotions we're hooking onto specific moments and emotions in an arc instead of trying to fit literally everything in a book it's fucking awesome it's i can't think of an adaptation that's done this well adaptation maybe of the orchid thief (laughs) is another like and it's it's so it's different adaptations that are saying fuck your normal expectations for an adaptation but like i don't know how much plot was on the cutting room floor of the screenwriting process it seems like this movie has a fuck ton of it i can't Mm -hmm. I can't believe that there's that much more plot in the novel. I think that there's way too much. You know, it's just that uh, it's not an issue with this movie because right. of the, the the things that it does on the surface level. You know, mm-hmm. and Harry Potter is a good example because it's not the plot, plot, plot. It's the book reporting. Right. You didn't, yeah. you didn't make your version of the story and the themes and the essence of Harry Potter. You made a book report, you know. And so what Greta Gerwig does is keep all that stuff that book reports would have. But then also this is like indistinguishably Greta Gerwig's movie. And I think what she's trying to do is she's trying to be in conversation with the real Louisa May Alcott. And Mm -hmm. I think it, who is herself just a construction of Greta Gerwig's, but Greta Gerwig is trying to read through the text of the novel and to see around the marketing and to see around what culture demanded women put in their books. Cause I'll tell you one thing that's like totally in the book all over the place and doesn't appear even one time in the movie, which is that the book is a religious text. It's about Christianity and it's about oh, wow. how uh, adhering to the principles of Christianity will, you know, make you a happier, more fulfilled person. And I'll, I know this from my wife who has read it. A lot of the chapters end with like, well, now we're just going to like talk about Jesus a little bit and how cool that guy is <laughs> to have that not appear in the movie at all. And to have all of their kindness just turned into like a humanism rather than a Christian based you know Mm -hmm. humanism because Greta Gerwig is reading the book and she's saying this is this part's bullshit this part's not real or when uh Joe gets married in the book she's reading it and she's like no this part's bullshit they they made her put this part in and so Mm -hmm. I'm not going to put it in mine because I know what she was really trying to say and this is what she was really trying to say yeah I mean having seen it twice I it's not just that the Christianity is not there it's it's also not not there it's also like not purposefully forced to not be in there you know like mm-hmm. it, it's not in the subtext like uh, what you're saying shocks me um and yeah. do we have like did she write in a letter or something that she was forced to put christian stuff in there because like that's what make us makes a book sell i i don't know probably at some point i don't know this but i do know from just studying other um women authors from back in the day that it was just like there were a set of rules and so like the way her editor tells her they ha- they have to get married in the end and then so or die because death or and marriage die. are equal yeah. for women. It's uh, all death. Like, if you remember, like, Kate Chopin's uh, The Awakening or uh, the story, or Kate Chopin's The Storm is what I'm thinking of. Um, that was so crazy at the time because that showed a um, an affair where the woman wasn't punished afterwards. And people were, like, freaked out because the standard was that you could show fallen women, but they had to either learn what had happened and repent mm. or they had to be punished unto death. And so there were all these rules that were just understood. And one of them was, especially female authors, had to talk about religion a lot. Like, that had to be the main reason, because their books were supposed to be, like, spiritual guides for women. And not and anything that didn't Not, not, not that, things that would incite creativity in their female readers. Yeah, You can't exactly. have that. Yeah, they, you know, I think it was like, it, it, they were supposed to help women behave and show mm-hmm. give them models for what how they should be. And so... 
the religiousness is like put in there and it, it that probably wasn't the only reason why it was included but i think greta gerwig is thinking that's not like the kernel of truth the kernel of truth is right. somewhere else in this book and and it's a smart adaptation because she people wouldn't be super into it they'd be like okay like if you're trying to make a story you want to connect to your audiences and these audiences are modern and they don't want preachiness and we don't have a we don't have as much of a model a modern model of christianity as a as a charitable like force mm. anymore it feels Joe like Olstein. like culturally right now what we have is christianity that yeah is very like moralistic in terms of like policing the morals of other mm. people not like the works charity driven christianity that's not like our current conception of it all right when we come back we are going to put some new folks in our hall of fame welcome to the pop filter hall of fame well here we are gentlemen we've arrived at the hall of fame and as you can see, there's not many people here right now because we can only let a couple people in at a time. But we still are open. We're open for business. Guys, when we talk about the Hall of Fame, there are many Hall of Fames, but we wanted to make one that's just for us. That's just what we dudes are into. The things that have been formative to us in our childhoods and made us the men we are now or the things we are super into at the moment so we have all come with prospective entries into the hall of fame we can only vote for two apiece and the votes have to be unanimous so there might be nobody into the hall of fame there might be one person or there might be two people but there's no way there are going to be three folks going into the hall of fame today Mike, you are our returning champion, and I just looked, and it looks like you're ahead on points now. So I'm going to go to you first. Who belongs, according to you, in the Hall of Fame? Uh, I'm doing a partnership. Uh, I wanted to do the thing they created that felt too vast. So these two folks, they uh, created a thing that I know is big on all of our childhoods and a lot of people's childhoods, and I think reverberated throughout pop culture and made so many things that are big today helped get them there through very shitty parts of the Batman ethos. These people built the quiet bridge underneath that made people still into Batman. It was like, no, you can fuck with it. And here's how you cherry pick and pick the best parts of the character. And here's some new characters he can fuck with. So I'm doing Bruce, Tim and Paul Dini. He created Batman, the animated series. and Harley Ooh. Quinn. Now that's very good. That's not when you guys were kids, we were all into the Batman cartoon as young children. Mm-hmm. Did you know at that time, though, like, this is going to be something that everybody always remembers? This is, like, some of the best stuff to ever come out? Did you guys have that impression of it when you were young? I knew I liked it, but everything I liked I got beat up for, so I didn't tell anybody I liked it. (laughs) It was sort of the closest to, like, mature superhero stuff that we had back then. And this was about the time that I started getting into all of that, but... um, Everything else that, especially live action and even for animation, uh, it was obviously stupid and they obviously didn't care. This is the first time that it seemed like work went into it. Um, back then, I did put Batman, BTAS, and X Men on the same pedestal. Right. I see now how BTAS rises far, far above uh-huh. in, in so many ways from a storytelling aspect to a, but it's really the, the design aspect, mm-hmm. you know, like what they did with, uh, we all thought that detail 
was the king of animation and what they did with their simple yet like unforgettable like crossing all of these times of art style right. uh was like the most memorable thing about it that's and other it, masters of adaptation and it changed animation and it changed batman like that's mm-hmm. something that like the x-men cartoon didn't do or the any of the spider-man cartoons really do which is go back and change the property upon which it's based but the direct so many of the directions that the cartoon went in changed the franchise like forever you know mm-hmm. gave us obviously harley quinn it's funny too because batman 89 is credited for saving batman from batman 66 right so yeah. it just it became this joke that batman 89 uh saved us from but batman 89 is not without its camp and hilariousness you know it was really batman the animated series who took it that next final step Mm -hmm. into now we can take like it's it's okay to talk about batman seriously and have him be um an actual crime fighter and not just dancing around and joking Mm -hmm. then eventually it went too far and hopefully we can come back at some point yeah, I would say something between 89 and the animated series finds a way to still be like, yeah, obviously there's a lot that's silly about this and there's a lot that's dark about it. It's not only one of those two things. It's mm. both of those things mm-hmm. at the same time. Here's a man who lurks in the shadows and has a huge giant penny in his basement. <laughs> <laughs> it's for that dinosaur to eat, right? Yes. Yeah, the, yeah, the dinosaur goes and bites it every once in a while. Hmm, chocolate. All right, Ryan, who do you think belongs in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame? Uh, I'm a little tired of all this, all these suggestions that are just nonstop superheroes and comic books. And I would like to actually talk about a different, far different art form that we collectively, the three of us, have shit on our entire lives. We think it's stupid and for stupid people. Um, it's often thought of as one step above the art of comedy of creating Hallmark cards. And that is like funnies, like the other comics that most people know about. Uh-huh. Um, you know, three panels, two panels, maybe a whole page of stuff that, like, is in essence sort of just at the bare bones containing a punchline, but almost not really. Yeah. Except for this one thing that we grew up with. Uh, there's something that is... I've been watching The Last Dance on ESPN about Michael Jordan. Uh-huh. And uh, just it's not just that he was good, but, like, there was not anything even close. And I think for that art, it is Calvin and Hobbes. And I think that they have been, they have definitely put our stamp, uh, their stamp on our lives. Uh, We didn't know it could be funny. I think we all found a little of Calvin in us and we all had our little Hobbs. Sometimes it was a fake stuffed animal. Sometimes it was Mike, you were my Hobbs. I don't know why you just sit there on the couch and don't move. When your parents walk in? Yeah, every time my parents walk in. And then I have to explain why we're both naked. Uh, (laughs) Bill Watterson is the creator. I guess we could put the two guys in there, the two characters, but we should probably give Bill the credit. And he also helped his legacy out by going out on top and then never doing anything again. Like, he never signed off on a a shitty movie. He never brought back the characters for, you know, something for, like, a sequel comic strip. He does think Calvin pissing on anything is hilarious, and that's why that's the one piece of merchandise he allowed those, well, maybe, the, those are official yeah bumper billy stickers. wawa's bumper stickers maybe that's why it's better to get a bill watterson bust in the hall of fame because if it's a calvin bust people are just gonna think that we love pissing on things yeah Which but is what, true. like remember after after 9-11 sometimes he'd be peeing on osama bin laden's head <laughs> yeah that one's hard to argue with you know it's like that's what you get osama bin laden you're gonna come and crash into our buildings no way 
you know, I, I thought you might be going far side with this, Ryan, and th- I think that would be a fine choice. Um, but I think where Calvin and Hobbes has the edge is it's got a lot of like heart, mm-hmm. and it really was about childhood. Far side was already for cynical adults, um, but Calvin and Hobbes was like joyous and loving at the same time. And yeah, I think part of what happens with a lot of these Sunday comics or the, the the funny pages comics is that they just the strain of doing it day in day out for like thirty years eventually gets to the point where like anything that has the cadence of a joke you'll use just to get through the day. And I think he saved himself and us from that by just being like, you know what, I can't do this anymore. The other thing too is that he quit when I was a kid, and I was like, what? No, I'm already locked on. You owe me. You do this forever. <laughs> and now that I'm older than a kid, uh, quitting makes so much sense. Just yeah. quit. Of yeah. course. Do quit something for everything. A, a small amount of time and then get the fuck out. I'm about it's- to get divorced because it's going so well. <laughs> <laughs> Just peace out while you're ahead. I do have to say um, that if you do create something wildly successful... That's a pretty good option, just to like be like, okay, I'm done. I'm never doing it. I'm just going to hang out now. I'm just going to have a good life. My pick is someone who did help create something very successful. One of the all-time uh, sketch comedy shows. It was on HBO, and it was so good. And then it just it had a lot of comedians that we cared about. And then this guy just kept being around, and then he was in Breaking Bad, but he was kind of playing like a funny jokester in in Breaking Bad, and kind of seemed pathetic, but like Bo- seemed borderline like stunt casting. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, ha, 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 yeah. You can tell this character's ridiculous because we cast this ridiculous person in the role. <laughs> uh, and then Better Call Saul came out, and I don't think it's controversial to say this anymore, but Better Call Saul is a is a better show than yeah, Breaking there's Bad. There's no MacGyver antics in Better Call Saul. There's just heavy character drama. And yeah, a lot like uh, incredible writing. Um it is lit like a way like the the scenes are lit in a way that is like so audaciously dark and it just gets darker uh, every season. And Bob Odenkirk is at the center of all of this these things. Also wrote for the Tenacious D show, also wrote for Saturday Night Live. Um and then is it his brother Bill Odenkirk writes for Simpsons? I don't know about a brother. Uh, I don't even know if it's the same same family or not. But Brother uh, Kelsall, I know there's a Oda Kirk that gets confused with him, but he's the guy who does the the like tongue tannic movies and uh-huh. uh, what was the Enter the Fury or Enter Kung Fu? Kung, enter the Fist. Kung tongue. Pao. Enter the Fist. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I don't think there's any relation. <laughs> uh, and then of course he was in. Little Women, uh, and they gave him the t- titular line, oh, look at my little women. That did, especially the first time, I was just like, oh, so he's just going to make it a fucking joke? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, <laughs> he is a non-presence in this movie, but he was there. I saw him several times, including saying, yo, look how little these women are. <laughs> in the end, you guys, these are normal-sized women, right? I mean, they're thin, but they're not, the, they're not I think so it's little. They're young adults. They're, they're like teens when he leaves. Uh-huh. And then he's gone their whole life. Uh, and so they're just always going to be little women to him. <laughs> so Bob Odenkirk is mine. Now, you guys, we can only vote for two. And I really want you to vote for Bob Odenkirk. So keep that in mind. <laughs> but the first one will be Mike's. And Mike, yours was Bat- Batman the Animated Series? As represented by Deanie and Tim. But okay. yeah, we can just, yeah. Uh, those two dudes who create Batman I, the Animated Series. Do yeah. we know of anything else that they did? Well, I mean, they created that whole cartoon 
style that is continuing today in uh, the DCAU. But there was Batman Superman, the animated series, and yeah. then Justice, Justice League. League then- Justice League Unlimited, Batman Beyond. Uh, Good for them. All of the <laughs> movies. Do you vote for them to be in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame? One of their creations is tattooed permanently on my body. I must. Yeah, right. That would feel like a really vindicated. <laughs> Ryan, what do you say? I think I have to say no. What? You are currently, for our listeners at home, you are currently wearing a Batman t-shirt. But it's not an animated t-shirt. No, that's sits true. sits there the entire time, not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, this is a, I think the problem here for me is that I've had all the rest of the stuff on my list of things to do eventually and just haven't. So, What I, if it I, had just been the animated series and not the uh, dudes? I mean, I don't know, but we have some steep competition here, so it's hard yeah. to say. I'm going to say no as well, and it's because of that, Mike, because it's the guys. Because I don't even, like, I don't think about the guys, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in the same way that, like, you think of, like, I don't know, other creators. I think of the show. The show, to me, is a slam dunk first ballot. But these dudes, not going to do it. Not gonna. I'll take that note for next season. Yeah. Also, there's three <laughs> different versions of Batman already in the Hall of Fame. So <laughs> I don't know how many more we can jam in there. It's getting a little bat crowded in there. Ryan, what I forget what you even nominated. Oh, that's not good. Insane. Bill Watterson. Bill Watterson. Calvin and Hobbs. Okay. Very interesting what I just said about the creators here. Hmm. Makes you think. Do you vote for Bill Watterson, Ryan, to be in the Hall of Fame? I do. All right, Mike, do you vote for him uh, to be in the Hall of Fame? Ryan said a sentence I think is very important is this has been on my list forever to get more into. But beyond flipping through a couple Kevin Hobbs at a doctor's office, uh, I've just never really delved in yeah and it's it's like important to me but not on the same level i think as as some other like you know i just it it doesn't quite rise up to it for me so it's going to be a no for me as well you guys are never dressed as them for halloween that's my favorite picture of you and your wife yeah that is a great picture uh, where we that almost got my vote yes just thinking about that picture the halloween where me and my wife both dressed as bill waterson you guys like that (laughs) yeah just like a button-up plaid shirt and glasses (laughs) if i said we were bill waterson you would not know you'd have no idea what he looks like oh yeah for sure it's like a whole thomas pension thing (laughs) all right and last is my choice bob odenkirk i'm a yes on bob odenkirk you know i'd I'd say yes good for you bob all right what do you say mike yeah i want to sing an ode to kirk i say yes all right, Ryan. Uh, Mr. Show is one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, this is only half of it. This is just the Mr. Uh, but I would, uh, as of this recording, the night before I watched the season finale of Better Call Saul, um, where he is just trying to somehow with his face compartmentalize the PTSD that he does not think that he should have currently. Uh-huh. Um, my goodness. He, like, writer for SNL and co-creator of Mr. Show are all things that, like, very impressive, but we knew like that that's what he was capable of. Mm-hmm. That to then go and do this, like do you think that uh there can be a better call or a breaking bad spinoff soon where Lorne Michaels just turns in like this incredible performance? <laughs> My vote is yes. All right. Mr. Bob Odenkirk directly into the Hall of Fame. Congratulations to you, Bob. If you want to come check it out, you know what? You're invited. You can come on down. Just wear a mask. It's important that you wear a mask so i get a point there you guys because my guy made it no points for either of you but i get a point 
We are going to move on now to some Patreon-only content. If you want to join our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. Am I right about that, Mike? That you're dead balls accurate. Yeah, and then you can get all of the content and really just keep tabs with what's up in our lives. We've uh, installed that webcam in Ryan's room. Um, and Ryan's bathroom. And Ryan's bathroom. Uh, in Ryan's backyard. Basically, just a lot of Ryan stuff. But if you want to check on what's on the cams, there's some good stuff there. Check it out. When we come back, Patreon listeners only. We are back with everybody. All our rowdy friends have come over to enjoy spirited debate about movies that we enjoy. Guys, let me ask you this. Greta Gerwig and many of the characters in the movie seem to be focused on money more than the novel or other period pieces that take place around this time. What is she and they and we trying to do here? Well, I think it's how do you modernize it a few different ways and, and class and money is ever present. Even if in America we're supposed to lie and say there is none, that lie is going away and we talk about it a lot. What's interesting is poor is such a sliding scale because the March sisters will complain about being poor but then they go and help the Humboldts, and that Those is poor. poor. They have a one-room shack with five kids and one white mom. They live Charlie and the Chocolate Factory grandparent style. <laughs> and they're they're uh, they're crying, and like the the marches have numerous rooms. It seems like they each have their own room, but it's and a big breakfast before they give it away. But it's just like if you're not Lori Rich, and I bet Lori compares himself to other people. I think you always do look around and go like, oh man, we don't have that. Are the marches living on the on Lori's grandparents' property? Like, isn't that how it worked back then? Is that like you sort of buy a piece of? Did they just own all that land? I don't know about in in America. Like, if they like, if the Lawrences would like own the whole village, right? Because that's like some feudalism, thing. right? That's such a good question, though. Actually, Ryan, because I don't know the answer to that. I didn't assume. I I thought they just like we own this parcel of land on this side of the street, and he owns that parcel of land on that side of the street. We have houses. But I did think it was interesting the way it was like, see the guy who lives on the other side of the street? He's super rich. We're not so rich. Yeah. Yeah. And Lori, uh, you know, Lori seems like the richest person because they, all the art, you know, that's like a good giveaway and books, books, uh-huh. watching the end of this movie and watching one single book be made. Yeah. Must mean that books are a thousand dollars each. Right. But at, like one of Amy's sickest burns on Lori is by a fiance, richer than even you. Yeah. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> But yeah, you can tell Lori's wealthy beyond imagine because all the girls freak out about a different thing. Not only does he have a bunch of books or have a bunch of instruments or have a bunch of art, he has one for each of their specific hobby. Like, and he has <laughs> a thousand of that thing. Like, that grandpa's rolling in it. And you want you like the class thing is interesting because the money is not typically talked about in really all stories, but instead it's an attitude, right? <laughs> like. I'm not going to specifically say that I'm richer than you, but I am going to treat you like shit, and you're going to feel it in every word that I say to you. Um, in this, and it, it might be because Lori's family is just nicer and cooler, or because the little women are so great, Right. but the delight on Lori and his grandfather's faces when the little women are in the house is just sort of pointing to the fact that, like, in the, in, in the whole, like, balance of the movie thing, always be balanced... Um, they're too rich and they're boring and the people with the scarlet fever or the, what is it? Yeah, the scarlet monks, fever. Um, they're too poor and the little women have it figured out. They're, the grandpa and Lori are not shitting on them. They're loving every second right. they can be oh, around hell yeah. those women. Also, I think it doesn't hurt that they're four pretty sisters. Yeah. When, all the, 
all the guys in that house are like, oh, ladies are coming yeah. over. When Laurie's supposed to be get, getting tutored and he's like posing as if somebody was painting him. And he's just like, there's a girl there. Yeah. <laughs> like, And this is when he is like 17 and she's 12. It's not I'm attracted to her. It's just like, this will be so much more interesting than studying. It and is kind of t- cool. The tutor's though, like, shut the fuck up. No, yeah, there's not. There would You're never lying. be. <laughs> Why would there be a girl there? But And then how cool is it though? Honestly, those guys like, our wives are out there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Both of their future wives are outside right there. That's Which so is romantic. interesting too because when they go over to that library and apparently a scene that really stuck with me that's also where meg meets her future husband and he is the tutor and he maybe you can't tell in that scene despite the fact that he's a teacher and therefore must make zero money yeah the lowest form of life on on earth correct ryan (laughs) like second (laughs) only to podcasting uh (laughs) podcaster um he is he sort to me he seemed like he was on that level of Lori's family and he is so he's like lower than yeah the, the, the march marches. family right and i i want to ask meg parasite like, dude 2019 <laughs> <laughs> is 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 meg capable of just looking at the tutor and saying thinking nothing like get the fuck out of here like it feels like that guy would not register with amy at all mm-hmm. but meg sees him falls in love and like well i don't know what to do i fell in love with a poor boy that's just it yeah, I, I think one, she, she's into that and she'll be like, oh, I will be sad and poor because all I want is, is that love. But it's also, he he's definitely the kind of lower class that's used to mucking it around with the higher class. So he knows the movements more than Lori does, or at least he respects them and understands them. But in that scene, when they're all talking, he is the one everybody laughs at. They're all suggesting different parts of the house. And he's like, and we got a greenhouse. And literally everybody else in the room turns and looks at him and smirks. Like there is, yeah. he's the butt of the jokes in the past scenes he's in often. And I think that is a subtle way of dealing with the class. They don't openly laugh at Lori or grandpa. And think he, about it. I mean, he's, he is a tutor in a rich person's house. That's the exact same setup as the beginning of Parasite. Mm-hmm. Like that you could have so little, but that's one of the few ways you can get into the house of a very rich person. And then everyone, yeah, it's like, this guy is the most ridiculous one here because he is dirt poor. My advice for Meg, and I cannot believe we're talking about Meg this much, but is go ahead, marry the tutor. But, and this, I have this advice for so many characters in TV and movies. Dump the fucking bitch best friend who's always talking shit on your yeah, toes dude. and making yeah. you feel bad. Why it's are like, you just buy the dress. Person? $50 in 1886 is what, like, did she drop a grand on dress components? Like, on free dress? On Louisiana. So- it's crazy. Yeah, yard, I don't know why people still hang out with those people. Like, get the, she that friend only exists, and I guess they met at like that the debutante camp away where you go and like learn how to be a lady. That was um, a weird class. Get away thing. from her. Because she was even the nice ones. Like I'm gonna call you Daisy. Like you're, I can tell you're low class. I get to call you whatever the fuck I want now, and you're gonna <laughs> like it. Yeah, I'm they really call you were Toby. <laughs> they really were treating her like a little pet. You yeah. know, dress her up, give her a new name. I bet in the book. I bet Meg disavows that friend. <laughs> I bet at the end she's like, and you know what? I'm never going to hang out with that Bitch. lady ever again. I'm just going to be obedient to my husband. <laughs> That's what I'm supposed to do. Uh-oh, you know what that sound means? We are going into a speed round. We're not doing a shopping spree tonight, so let's do it here. What is the best dress in the movie? Oh, shit. Uh, I, like, I want I want to go all the way with something like this. I. Uh, I like if I'm gonna wear a dress, I don't want to pick something that is plain, and I don't want to pick something that uh, is sort of nice. So I'm going with Daisy Meg's 
pink explosion mm-hmm. of <laughs> cuteness and flowers and lace. Like, yeah. it, she had to turn sideways in order to get through a room. Uh, Lori hates it because it's so different from her. Like, and Lori, I, like, Lori put sunglasses on just to look at it. <laughs> but what I do like about that scene, because the friend was like, no, 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 do it for me. Because I think that's how class comes in. If she's like, where? Meg would be like, no, 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 I couldn't. So she's trying to be like, as a favor to me. And that, that that's like the past that other people will let this happen. And There's you so many talk weird about, rules like, and shit. You want to talk about like who, like what characters are important and stuff? Lori's like ultimate line there is, "What would Joe think? Yeah, what would Joe March, your sister, think of what you're doing right Honestly, now?" Honestly, if I were fucking Meg in that scene, I'd be like, you know, we don't actually talk that much, you <laughs> yeah. and me, and so I don't know why you feel like you can just come in and judge what I'm doing. Like I'm he's not a my fucking sister. asshole. Too. Yeah, yeah, he's like, what a fop. <laughs> For me, it's got to be, this is so stupid, but uh, for me, it's got to be like the painting smock mm-hmm. that Amy wears. Just uh, the smock? Just the just <laughs> the uh, real Empire Record for, situation. For, for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's just so cool that I had to make a dress that big because they have to stand there and paint in their dress. So you have to have a smock that's basically big enough to go all the way around it because you, of course, wouldn't just be standing there in trousers painting. Right. Uh, you are a lady, not a whore. And then uh, I also just think that when um, she, like, has to go see Fred and she says, Lori, untie me. And then mm-hmm. the shot of him just untying this, her most outer of garments. It's a dress she's wearing on top of her dress, which is on top of 18 other layers. But his untying that so is so sensual. hot. And, like, we don't, in modern life, I like how sexually permissive our culture is. But it 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 doesn't it makes stuff like that less hot in mm-hmm. modern times and that is so fucking hot he's taking off one of her layers of clothes and i it's just like a perfect scene the other thing that's going on there too is that amy notices this is taking a long time to yeah. lock off also i love lori so <laughs> and then you can watch her face make the decision of the second it's off i need to bail and i'm gone like she yeah. gets the fuck out of the room because her richer fiance's outside, and if she stays in there after that smock taking off, after that like basic instinct level sexy smock takeoff, <laughs> then who knows what might happen? In an hour after he took off all her other layers, they would fuck. Yeah, dude. That's. I mean, she's like, honestly, he could probably take off every single one of these twenty-seven layers, twenty-seven dresses <laughs> just that's for one girl. <laughs> oh, that's got to be a point. You know, that's a point. Uh, what is the point of the speaking directly to the camera, and why doesn't it happen in all the letters? So right at the end of the movie, there is uh, there are a different, a couple of different like talk right down the barrel of the cameras. Right, yeah, Frederick does it once, the editor does it once, and Joe does it once. And I, this is the part of the stacking the evidence of the other scenes are are the book, and it's yeah. because when they get cameras, they read them to each other. Or when they get letters, they read them to each other. When and when we're definitely outside the book for a thousand percent sure, they're completely talking to the camera and to us. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, it's a perfect example of her making that perfect middle ground decision of I need it to be jarring. I need mm-hmm. it to put you off kilter a little bit, you know, but not so much that like uh, it's in your face. I just need you to sort of like sort of think, sort of not about what I'm doing right now. That's what I, she's so good at. I think I just always hate this decision. Yeah. I always hate it. I feel like I feel like never do it. I mean, and and that's so crazy because it's one of the tools in the tool belt, but I I just I always react negatively towards hmm. it and I didn't like it in this movie. Don't don't look down the barrel of the camera. It's it's jarring and not in a good way. What I'm if like, at the end of it Joe said uh at the end of her line she was like, "Also, Greg, nice shorts." 
Yeah, well, if you, I do appreciate when the characters turn to the camera and say, Greg, you're okay, or Greg, you're going to make it, or Greg, people like you. Like, I, I like when that happens, but that's the only time I want them to turn to the, to the camera, and I don't want anyone else to know that it's happened. I feel uncomfortable when other people know. And I would put that in a lot more movies because a lot of people need that and they're all named Greg. Yeah, yeah. Greg's definitely think need that, that you're talking right to them. Seriously, yeah, dude, we're the male Karens. Do the modern sensibilities break the period piece of the story? I don't think so. I, I think I thought about this a lot, but none of it. Cause like, I think she has definitely learned from so many directors and can meld like Tarantino at times. You're like, okay, we're a movie. She can make you watch a movie and still do cool modern things without ever breaking that. We're in a movie. And to be able to balance all of that and still make it relatable. is fucking amazing. I've read, or I've like heard in podcasts. That's what, I, what I call reading. You've read. Um, <laughs> the, I read a headline. <laughs> The attention uh, that was paid to clothes and not making them dress like other period pieces, but closer to how they actually dressed. And then even one step further into less fanciful stuff in most of the scenes. So between the clothes and the dialogue, which is it feels old fashioned, but not as boring Mm -hmm. and like over wordy as so many period pieces. That really does prime you for her to get away with almost anything else she wants in this movie. There's. Mm -hmm. Uh, like I can't even think of a time where I was like, "Come on, Greta, too modern," and, and I stamp my TV. So much of it is subtle in attitudes and how people stand or sit. Like Pete, you're like you're sitting in a modern way, Joe. Like a lady in the 1800s would not sit the way even a rebellious one. And she's just like lounging back with her arms like across a couch. Like she's gonna <laughs> pack a bong. Like she's just relaxed in a way that you don't see in period pieces. And instead, what are you it puts wearing us wearing a vest. <laughs> Is there a sequel you guys would watch where they time travel to modern times and then we have to deal with watching them ha- handle that? Of course I would. Only if they crossed over with Deadpool. Of course, yeah. Because <laughs> that is something that actually happened. <laughs> is there is there something almost distracting about how much better... How, I never say her name right. Cerise Ronan. Shasha Ronan. And Florence Pugh are at acting than some of the other actors in this movie. I, I would say that the reason this might be on Greta is that she does such a good job of making it an ensemble piece. You know, everybody gets a moment. Mm-hmm. Fucking Lori's grandpa gets two moments yeah. in this movie and uh, this movie of like 12 other people. If it was more focused on these two, then that's how movies work. You know, like people are more talented than other people and that's why they get leads. Uh-huh. Um, but yet. Yeah, there's a couple times where, especially when they're all together, where Sersha and Florence and all the overlapping dialogue seems so natural. And the other sisters are like, wait, what's my line? Shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the, I, it, I think it creates that- like two, uh, two stranded reality, like half of the actors mm-hmm. or more than half, like 80% of the actors are in one kind of reality. And then there's these two act actors who are just like so alive. And at times it just feels jarring to go back and forth between them. Yeah, and it's. I, I think Meg gets the short shrift because Beth, that is her character. She is quiet and more like commenty on things than being in the mix. And so all of the focus gets put on Meg and how like, oh, you're just not going to do anything? No decisions here? Cool. Also, like, is it time to just say, Emma Watson, you're great, but not at acting? acting. <laughs> She's fine. She, she seems like a cool person. And I, I just, I feel like she struggles through this through this movie and i feel like i can't think of a time where i watched a movie where she felt like she was in the top tier of the actors in See, that this movie. is the only time i've ever seen her struggle 
And there's a couple of movies I haven't seen. Uh, the Bling Ring in particular, I've heard she's she. I mean, she is a talent. Um, but this is the only like Harry Potter. I think that she ruins it because she outshines all the right. other actors in there. Uh, it is a Saoirse Florence situation for her. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the only time I've seen her like. And I don't know whether to blame Meg or just it's sort of like how when future ad- adaptationers adapters are going to be like, oh, I didn't know we could do that with a, mm-hmm. what we're adapting. It's like she said that about Florence and Saoirse. Oh, I didn't know we could like breathe that much life into our performance. Right. Yeah. It's her character has the least to do and she does the least with it. And it's but it sucks that she's with Meryl Streep and uh Laura Dern, who's the Meryl Streep of her generation, while being the age of two Meryl Streeps of her generation. Like that does <laughs> blow, man. That that gives you nowhere to be. All right. When we come back, we are gonna hand out some awards for this movie. It's award season, boys. Every week has its own award season, and now we're in ours. So let me ask you, what is the best pound-for-pound performance in the film? Mike? I think we just talked a lot about about the big two, right? Sharsha and and Florence. And there are – Florence P was great. I almost popped Filter Hubble Famer. Did she make it in? Uh, so close. Like, so she's close. almost there, dude. She's going to be there very soon. But there are times when she's Amy where she steals focus because she's trying to steal focus like a bad sketch group where one person's like, now the scene is mine. And that's not how it works. Her as a 12-year-old is a little too big at times, which makes, I think, Sharsha fucking walks though? that balance beam. Because 12-year-olds are so loud and <laughs> obnoxious. She has so many, like movie stealing lines the one that my wife and i were freaking out about last night is when they cut to a scene and she's like got her foot in that yes like, that is bucket of plaster <laughs> and she's like i'm gonna take a mold of my foot to remind Lori how small my feet are <laughs> and then it instantly gets stuck and then she's clomping around yeah. screaming i also love how greg your impression of her sounds like somebody who like owns a bait shop <laughs> <laughs> that, she's uh, dude i think she is the Buy perfect, some worms. she's the perfect amount awkward for a girl that age yeah, and when in the school scene, when she's, you're like, why? Oh, it's one of those like K through twelve schools. No, no, no. She's supposed to be the same age as the yes. real eight year olds who are next to her. Yeah, she's sitting around <laughs> with a bunch of twelve year old actresses. But uh, I think I think every every movie Shasha's in, she fucking crushes and owns and falls into the character. Like at times, you believe she is in the 1800s or is an assassin as a little kid, uh, or is a lady bird in Sacramento. Uh, she she's so fucking good, dude. I believe I still believe that she really threw herself out of that car. <laughs> they, that was a riff. <laughs> and she's still rolling. <laughs> this is all a hologram. Right. Okay. So Cersei Ronan is your choice, Mike. Yeah. Because that's that's bold and brave. Because what do you think, Ryan? Do you, yeah. do you also? No, I I'm not that bold and I'm not that stupid. I this entire season of movie of the year has been dedicated to not just Florence Pugh, but almost Florence Pugh's performance as Amy in Little Women. Uh-huh. Um, I can see. On the set, people saying what Mike just said. Uh, whoa, they're going to put that in the movie? That They're going to put that line reading? Like She just did a 10-minute temper tantrum about how the teacher slapped her hands with a ruler because she drew a picture. But in the movie, I think it all works. And then the like juxt- juxtapo- hmm, put next to uh, the times where she's an adult and still has that same sort of like uh, tempestuous attitude, but it's more mature and it has figured out the world a little bit more um her voice is uh, that's uh, an amazing talent right there yeah you know whatever age she is just based on like the timber of her voice Mm -hmm. yeah i think she's nearly perfect in this movie 
Yeah, this is, I mean, like, she's she's obviously great in Midsummer. She's good in fighting with my family. Uh, she is such a powerhouse in this movie that it's a bold thing. It's hard to cast Amy. It's hard to know what to do. Like, in the 94 version, they went with two different actresses. It's hard to have an actress go from, like, 12 to 20. That's a big jump, obviously. And there are times in which it sticks out in this movie. The the scene of the, the schoolhouse is perfect because it's just, like, it's like Pen 15. Like they're yeah. just, like, hanging out with middle schoolers. <laughs> but she captures the essence of it, just the timber of her voice and the way she'll suddenly scream out, the way she sometimes very witty and other times just very childish uh and then when she actually like becomes adult amy you can just tell in her bearing that it has happened so ryan you're gonna get the point there how about cringiest moment this feels like a movie that maybe wouldn't have many cringy moments what do you think mike yeah i i had to do a different way because because of what the story is and because it was handled by gerwig it was not that. So personally cringy was when Joe first turns in her first short story and the editor starts to read and edit in front of her. That is my fucking nightmare. <laughs> and I can't think of a worse cringe than that. <laughs> what do you say, Ryan? Um, I have to say that uh, we, we heard about this dad uh-huh. for the entire movie. And I understand that uh, Bob Odenkirk is a pop filter Hall of Famer, but it took me out of the movie so hard, and it was such a crazy casting. And we're talking about somebody who is now, like, officially respected as yeah. an incredible actor. Like, he has become the um, Brian Cranston, John Hamm of this, like, <laughs> uh, Pete Cable era. And yet still, him walking in and them thinking that I'm just going to sit there and continue being uh-huh. in the movie and watching the movie. I, I, I got cringed out as fuck. He falls into it. Like the, the later scenes when they're, when they're all around the dinner table and him and Marnie, it's the Bob and Marnie show. And they're just kind of like running it and making fun of the boys who like their daughters. That is way more natural. But him kicking in the door and saying, little women is very like, what the fuck are we watching? His Kool-Aid man into the room. <laughs> little women. <laughs> And the, I mean, the, the way it's shot, it's not just them talking about him for the entire movie, but the way it's shot is Lori comes in. He's like, I got a little present for you guys. And we know right away. Yeah. And then there's another beat. And then the dad comes in and it's Bob fucking Odenkirk. <laughs> like, what the hell? From Mr. <laughs> Show. I mean, imagine, like, switch it around. What if it was David Cross? Oh, and then man. He came With his big old beard. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Ryan takes the point there. How about director's signature moment? Oh, it's always a little tough on these when, you know, we're three movies deep. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? Is there a signature moment, Ryan? Uh, I think that the thing that I think that she is great at, among the many things, I'm sorry, there was that one time where I joked about talking shit on Greta Gerwig's direction, and I apologize profusely. Fucking watch it. Um, yeah, it's a dark chapter. But I think that she is a student of the like uh, Tarantino-esque, Altman-esque, have a shot with a huge ensemble, have everyone talking quickly. But the difference between her and Altman, I think, is that Altman enjoys you hearing everything and nothing. And mm-hmm. like the overlapping is specific. This feels like it's about to collapse on each other in like four different scenes. Yeah. That, that, that all the dialogue will come together. But apparently it was carefully choreographed. Like, as if it was a dance scene and how how much you hear every word of dialogue and how like it doesn't matter what they're talking about it's this blast of like warmth and family and togetherness and rapport just based on all that choreography mm-hmm. i bet that's a part of every greta gerwig movie from here on out all right that sounds like a good choice what do you think mike i i think i it's it- Hard to narrow down third movie and also like things shift throughout this movie. But the one that like stood out to me 
in a good way. And it, it kind of ties back to what you were saying, Greg, where here's the perfect shot. I'm going to skew it. And how the past is gold. The present is gray. Beth's funeral is gray. And instead of everybody being in the, the fr- like front and center, it's to like three quarters in to the right of the screen they're standing. So you see mm. way more trees than people. So they're off to the side. And it's all blue, except there's these gold streaks letting you know, now we are at the part where these two parts of the story are mixing and all done in like a five second shot is fucking beautiful and subtle. And then obviously the best part of the movie is combining me and Mike's where it's right when all those colors combine and they all give simultaneous eulogies. You hear every single word. (laughs) Every single line from it. Every eulogy should be a 13 person handoff. They all harmonize. just, Just harmonize a little bit. They all start singing a different song. An elegy. I'm going to give the crosstalk to, or I'm going to give the award to Ryan's crosstalk. All right. When was the moment you were most jealous of Lori? As boys, we are enjoined from being in the Little Women, but one of us made it. It's Lori, and I'll hate him forever. So, what time did you most want to be, Lori Ryan? Lori is sad and like you root for him, but sometimes he makes it hard. Um, I don't think, like I said earlier, that Laurie is going to make the best adult. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that him marrying Amy is weird. Mm-hmm. I, like, and she knows it. She says it. <laughs> and, and she's going to get over it because he's rich and she also does truly love Laurie. I do believe that part. I just, like, he. it's such a weird It's a, a weird rebound. move. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the part that I'm most jealous is just hanging out with these girls. Mm-hmm. And w- if I had to, or if I got to hang out in one scene, I want to be behind that wardrobe yeah. where they're yes. all doing their impressions of men. Then you get the awesome entrance. You get the like the huge debut. Mm-hmm. And then you get to hear people talk shit on you, which uh-huh. is yeah. always delightful. Fun. And then as soon as they're like, yeah, fine, Lori can come in, uh, he sits down and just humps with them. And uh-huh. I love watching him and the girls together. He's uh he and Emma Watson are clearly doing an impression of that uh guy from the uh English Parliament who just retired the order. <laughs> so that's fun. And then uh, yeah, he stomps around the room, gives everyone a key to a secret mailbox, mm-hmm. and then basically in, in like two minutes goes from like oh I don't think we can accept this guy to like we fully accept him and now he's just part of it. He's one also, of you the, get the sisters. feeling that in the area, Joe and her sisters is like the UCB. Of yes. the village, yeah. and now he gets to like be in that improv troupe. Yeah, I when I first saw this movie, I was like, "Oh man, I bet those girls would play such an amazing game of D and T." The voice like, work, the costumes. Yeah, I mean, basically, what they're doing constantly is like an even cooler version of D and D, making their own plays. And yeah, mm-hmm. when they put them on, everybody comes. So to get like accepted into that group, Mike, I got the sense that you had that same moment. That like, yeah, and I'm debating whether I should bail, but I don't want to because that is a clear moment. Not only for all the reasons Ryan said, but also it's the only moment that Lori doesn't fuck it up a minute later. Every yeah. other really good moment, like the, the one that was like my number two for a long time, was uh, Amy seeing him in Paris. And one, that's delightful. Seeing somebody in a city, you don't expect to see oh, them. Yeah. But then he puts his foot in the mouth like right away. But like <laughs> having Florence Pugh be that excited to see you, that's great. But th- this is the one scene he just like is cool the whole time and doesn't fudge it up. <laughs> Real quick, too. Uh, this has like uh, this scene has one of my top three moments in the entire movie where um, two of the sisters, let's say Beth and Amy, uh, they have pipes in their mouth and uh-huh. they're doing their impression of what they think dudes do and they put them in their mouth and then cheers the pipes with each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're wrong, but are they? Like, But also, close. isn't them, the little girls as old men, that's our next group Halloween costume, yes? <laughs> <laughs> that's going to get us a lot of terrible questions. 
<laughs> All right. So obviously, Lori emerging from the wardrobe wins. Yeah, it's hard not to be. What is the movie's most modern moment, Mike? I think there, there's a few. At one point, one character does tell another character they're on fire, and then he uh-huh. goes, "No, no, no, you're on fire." But I think it's uh, Lori and Joe at the first Christmas ball they meet at. They're dancing outside, and at a certain point, they mosh. They fucking are at uh-huh. 1977 Sex Pistol show in between two windows before they go back to doing like traditional two stepping. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's just people did not flail their limbs that way in the <laughs> 1800s. I'm sure of that. <laughs> so just their movement, just their like movement vocabulary. Yeah. There. All right, what do you say, Ryan? Well, Mike, you went first, and then said the two most obvious ones so thank you for that hopefully that continues to happen but um yeah i think that it has to be the dancing because it's the favorite it's almost the favorite level (laughs) dancing where you're in a period piece but when you're when you move you just don't care Uh i just like i like those dancing sensibilities you know like when you move pretend that when you dance pretend that nobody's watching even if that means you travel forward in time and learn future dance moves you know it's so interesting because i i think that everyone who sees it comes away with the same impression which is like people never moved like that until recently and i think part of the movie is an interrogation of like do we really think that people from the past not even from that far in the past but from 150 years ago do we really think that they are so different than us that there is a type of movement that they wouldn't do that we would just think of as sort of like commonplace and i think the movie is an investigation of that you Mm. everyone who sees it thinks the same thing which is people back then didn't move that way why do we think that <laughs> that's a oh, weird yeah. thing i assume think. that we like we just wait all through human history we waited until slipknot came out before we learned how to dance <laughs> well, back I think in the day the... you would never hear someone go wah that's disturbed like we all know that all right we're not saying slipknot and disturbed are the same oh i think everything about slipknot is disturbed Oh, I, I think it's it's we, more than the 1800s. We can blame like the 40s and the 50s because even the 20s had like some wild dancing with like flapper dancing. But the 40s and 50s, it was so strict and like here's how you dance and like Greece, everybody knows every movement versus like the the wildness of there's no plan. Here's what I think. Also, I think keep in mind the... too that like me and Mike are choosing this not based on what happened, but what movies from that time have shown us. That's yeah. the thing. <laughs> that, that's the thing. Like we when we think of the past, we think of movies we've seen about the past, mm-hmm. and a lot of the ways in which movies are made, they want people to stand in a certain way because they have to like reproduce shots, and they don't want them to move too much. So like we we don't have like of course we don't have like primary evidence mm-hmm. of this, but we're letting movies tell us what people were like back then, and I just think that that whole question is what this movie in particular is about. Like, why do we think people were so different in the past than than they really were? All right. Uh, so the winner for that is, well, you guys both said the same one, right? Mm-hmm. Crazy dancing. So Mike will get the point for that. Crazy dancing, you win for most modern moment. Although I do think that you're on fire and her just being like, thank you, shorty. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> I find you to be lit as well. <laughs> Honestly, I think women uh, caught on fire enough back then that if someone walked into a room and said, hey, you're on fire, a woman would be like, oh, yeah, probably like one of my many layers of gauze are burning right now. All right, the next award is LVP. Does that stand for least valuable player? Mm-hmm. Okay, so who is the LVP, Ryan? I mean, I think that. Just before we got to awards, we <laughs> really about took this her for to like test. We blew minutes. up her spot already. Um, I having not read the book, it maybe Meg is interesting in the book, but she, it's all of the worst storylines. Like mm-hmm. it's yeah. there's there's nothing added to the storylines that seems to make it pop off the screen. And then we also have an actress who is just not in that mindset. 
where I am going to own the stage like all these other actresses are. And you'd think that she would be in a movie with Meryl Streep, Laura Dern, Saoirse Ronan, and Florence Pugh. But it's it really kind of sucks to go back to a Meg scene after that, you know, yeah. you just had a Joe scene, you're about to have an Amy scene, and now we have a Meg scene. Is it? Do you think it's a, a hard challenge for an actress to find the motivation for like, oh my God, I bought too much silk? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, she doesn't have that much to do, and then yeah. she doesn't do much with it. But I do think like Beth, who is also not one of the big two of the sisters, I do think that girl... I, and I, she's the one we're not familiar with, but she does when, when they're like, she's the best of us. So often you're like, that's just the thing you have to say. I understand why they say that about Beth. Yeah. I think she does very quiet little things throughout the movie and the relationship between her and Chris Cooper. I think she goes toe to toe with this great character actor who's been doing it for decades and you believe it just as much from her as from him. I think but- when you say that someone's the best of us, it's there's like, it's like a lack of ambition. Yeah. Which means that, that, that they don't do all of the bad, shitty things that humans uh-huh. do, but that also makes them the blandest as well, and you don't have right. any other titles for them. So yeah. you're like, uh, best of us. There you go. <laughs> have that one. She kind of doesn't want to be alive because she sucks at it, but that also <laughs> makes her holy. <laughs> all right, so pound for pound performance. What won that, Ryan? Was it the uh, Pew? That was Pew. Pew? A cringiest moment? Uh, Bob Odenkirk's entrance. Yes. <laughs> My little ladies. Director's signature Mo. Was the overlapping dialogue. Most jealous of Laurie was when he emerged from the wardrobe, right? Modern <laughs> moment was the crazy dancing. And least valuable player. Sorry, Emma Watson. There's like almost no chance she listens to this podcast. But if she did, I would She's feel not really going good. to anymore. <laughs> she won't anymore. Well, we are done talking about Little Women. When we come back, I will tell you the scores and who won the best friend title. And we'll talk about how we think this movie is going to do in our bracket. And we are back. I have tabulated the scores. Mike, you scored 23 points. That's very that's res- good. That's good doobie doobie. That's, that's pretty good points. But, but Ryan, you scored 28. <sighs> fully five points better. If I'm Mike, I'm wondering, where did I drop those points? You know, What could yeah. I have done? How could I have prepared better for the show? Uh, how could I have acted like this mattered to me? You know, I just got. Yeah, I, I had a devil may care. I was trying to inhabit Lori's energy, and I guess I did too much. It felt like it didn't care. Well, that's why we have a post show highlights thing where they can go through and tell us. Break down yeah. all the mistakes. X's and O's that were made. Congratulations, Ryan. You are my best friend. That no longer comes with anything, but I guess you can feel pretty good about having done it. How do we think this movie is going to do in our bracket? I mean, I think that like it's you have. Uh, I think that while we go when we go through seasons, there's like clear second rounders. Yeah. At, once we get to the second round, who fucking knows what's gonna happen? But unless the bracket works out very poorly for Little Women, I can't imagine it not making the second round. Yeah, I it'll for sure do that. Thing. And I think because we were both thoughtful and a bit punk rock rebellion, we I, I could see it going all the way. I could too. If one of us had not been into Parasite, if, if there was like there would have been a little daylight, but instead we all gushed about it. And so I still think that that probably has the inside track. But besides that one movie, I think that I think this is probably the second best. We're going to see we're going to watch Irishman for this next week. Wait, hold uh, on. I, I get I won. I get. To oh, pay. yeah. Sorry, Ryan. Uh, Ryan. So what movie should we cover next week? I would I like guess. to do The Irishman. Oh. 
I know that's the only choice you can make here, but even so, I still feel like you're imposing three, <laughs> yeah. three and a half hours on me. How I've many decided episodes I'm doing of the Irish Minute? Minute. Yeah, I'm okay. doing 25 <laughs> minutes a day for the week. What What do you think is like, what's the, like, putting aside what we can possibly do, what's like the ethical movie podcastist way to watch this movie? Is it wrong to, to, to piecemeal it out or is it wrong to try to like, break out three and a half hours to watch it. Uh, I'm going to say if this is your first time, then you got to watch it all the way through in a theater. You have to break into a theater and make them... <laughs> Press play. <laughs> make them. Just like, watch it on your inside. phone in the seat. Um, but, yeah, like, I say... I think that if you have... Like, if you say that, like, movies must be watched from start to finish, and if not, you're, a cinef- you're not a cinephile, first of all, don't be a cinephile. Just don't yeah. use that title. <laughs> and second of all, I think what that means for most people is, okay, I will watch zero movies then. Right. Yeah. So I'd rather have everyone watch more movies in whatever way they can than just stop watching movies. Yeah, that's such an arbitrary, like, elitist rule, just so you can feel a little better than other people. I do think we can make fun of people who are like, well, I was on my phone the whole time. We can fucking yeah. ding those people for sure. Yeah. But There's a line. You, Watch the shit out of the movie in eight chunks. That's on Scorsese. Four <laughs> hours is a long time. Especially in this like TV, we like TV more than movies world. He knew how people were going to watch right. it. Right. It felt like he was defiant. Willfully well, defiant. That is the task ahead of us, is to digest this movie and be ready to talk about it next week. Before we go, I want to thank Shady Monk, who made all the music for this show we really appreciate it check him out on soundcloud or Bandcamp, or just open up your window and shout out shady monk and there's not a good chance i'm not saying that there's a good chance there is some chance though higher than zero that he will be right outside and it'll just be whoa hey he's worn doing? masks longer than the rest of us so he's <laughs> totally used to this world <laughs> i was born with the mask I love like building up the lore of this mysterious musician, Shady Monk. Shady we don't Monk. even explain why he's been wearing masks for this He long. just has. He just it, has. It's called world building, all right? Maybe we'll get around to explaining the mask thing later. Why does he have the stone of power? You don't know, right? And we're not going to lay it out. It would be weird to have an expository conversation when the three of us all know why Shady Monk's sword is called Equus. It would be weird for us to talk about it with each other because we already know. So the audience is just going to have to figure out some other way to figure to figure that out. And you guys uh, will tell me after the show, right? Yeah. We'll t- okay, <laughs> we'll talk you're on your phone when we've <laughs> all learned. <laughs> Where no one can hear. If you are on your phone, hey, you know what? Get on the internet. Get on a browser there and go to yourpopfilter.com. That's our base on the internet. And you can find everything we're doing on there. And what we're doing a lot of times is podcasts. We have this podcast and the Superhero Show show. Uh, and then also the OCD, where Ryan and Mike talk about every episode of the OC while being a couple Ds. <laughs> I've, I've That's why it got named that. I've derailed myself. <laughs> uh, also, you could do Amazon.com slash YourPopFilter. That helps us out to some degree. You can follow us on Twitter at YourPopFilter or Instagram at YourPopFilter. I'm at uh, Pensive Gorilla. If you guys want to, if you guys want to follow me, that's okay. Go for it. And make sure, at, like, go to yourpopfilter.com/slash/amazon. That's the new bookmark, and that way you can order and help us out instead of the other way. The other way, yeah. Don't except on May first. Don't use it on May first. We're all fucking striking on May first. Or you know what? Don't use it at all. Go to our Patreon. The Patreon yeah. is a good way to, to hook us up directly with the money. That way, yeah. we can go and buy stuff on Amazon. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Daddy needs TP. If you want to email us, uh, we will read it on our show live and in person. Contact at your pop filter. But 
That's all we got for you today, folks. Next week, it is The Irishman. Until then, hey, keep watching them movies.